Hey, welcome to Guitar Knobs, the guitars, gear, noise, and nonsense podcast hosted today by these knobs. Aaron Cook. Jeff Fisher. Me, Todd Novak. And this guest knob, Chris Graham. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. Glad you could join us. I'm glad to be here. So what Um, happened to Jay? Did you fire him? Jay did not get fired. Okay. He, yeah, he got fired. Sorry. Okay. No, he didn't get fired. Um... He's off doing something we don't know what. He couldn't join us today. Maybe he's selling a Rhodes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> couple customers. Yeah, we'll have to give you the... So on our last episode, we covered that we, joke off. That we was, got him. That was pretty good. We got him. Yeah. Um, after, we're, after we're done taping, we'll fill you in on it. But anyways, more about you real quick. We're going to introduce you. Tell us a brief... Under 1,000 character description of what you do, and then we'll get into our stuff. Yeah, so I'm a mastering engineer. Um, I've master, been mastering about a record a day for a few years now at least. Uh, so probably getting up there close to 1,000 records That's or something. That's crazy. That's awesome. And uh, so what mastering is is people who have recorded a record, um, who've had it mixed. Once it's mixed, in order for it to, for it to sound commercial and professional, it needs to be mastered. Um make it loud but also to make sure that it sounds good in a variety of speakers um, outside of the studio and the big thing that I try to do um, when I'm mastering is is make sure that the emotion of the music translates through whatever it's listened through Mm -hmm. so there's a technical component to it obviously to make music sound good everywhere but more importantly is the emotional component because music is you know art it is emotional there's no reason to make it outside of the emotion and uh girls girls their Sorry, emotions girls there's a <laughs> no, so i met my wife to, to find them <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah so i make music sound pretty for a living cool perfect would you, would you say uh mastering is an art form in itself i i would it's what i love about it is it's the intersection of art and science Ooh, Ooh. you've been working on that one <laughs> yeah patent that, yeah, that's like on your card, your business card, <laughs> but with a Z, business card. Business. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's uh, real quick, we'll get back to Chris in just a couple minutes, but we're going to go through new stuff this week, and we're going to start with Aaron. Well, it's quite ironic that we have a uh, mastering <laughs> professional here. Deja vu. I know this is weird. Um, so yeah, you know, just kind of ongoing with uh, my quest in the transition from GarageBand to Logic, um, trying to work on some mastering stuff. So, um, which I've, Logic is amazing? About Logic software is amazing, isn't it? Yeah, when it doesn't crash. Oh, okay. Midway through recording a podcast. All right. Anywho, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I've I've done a. A couple mixes on a, a song that I was alluding to in the last episode. Um, so I, I kind of moved on into the, the mastering process. And um, really, I'm, I'm kind of interested in some limiters because I was squashing snares out of my mix. So that, that, that thump, that pulse that needed to be there, gone. So I, I, I think it's more that that emotional aspect of it. So, you know, you, you lose, you lose that sort of drive and things are, uh, all of a sudden mush and they're nothing. So, you know, I, I was, uh, been looking at a couple plugins, uh, T-Rex stealth limiter. How do you feel about that? 
poo-pooed. That's what it'll make your music sound like, that noise. That was, okay. So that's a no. Yeah. So you would... I would not... Not recommend. Would not... Okay. Not, okay. T-Rex, of all... I, I don't endorse any one-size-fits-all mastering solutions, software solutions. T-Rex like would be... shampoo the, conditioner. Like shampoo conditioner. Um, T-Rex would be at the bottom of the list, oh. I think. They, um, they were one of the first... Um, to have a popular piece of one size fits all and just not, not wonderful. I just think it's, it's always better to be gentle when you're, you know, if you're, if you're mixing, recording and mixing yourself and mastering yourself, just to be gentle and to use a quality limiter, limiter, you know, like the Waves L2 is pretty affordable. Waves L3, well, Waves L16 is great. Um, sl- some of the slate stuff is okay. But well, that's good to know because I've been looking at one of the slate plugins. It's, I mean, the big thing is just being gentle. What gets people into trouble and what makes mastering so hard is to make something have a lot of impact and sound fantastic and be very loud all at the same time is very hard. I that's sort of what I've run into is you know trying to have these loud masters. And, you know, it's like that's why the limiter just got pushed so hard that the snare all of a sudden is gone. Yeah. Um, so is the limiter the right tool that you should be using or is it maybe not the limiter but something else that is causing the problem? You, you're causing the problem. Most of the time. Because <laughs> I told you to use that limiter. No, you didn't. I know I did. <laughs> I, I think when you're, when you're doing it yourself, the big thing is you can choose between sounding fantastic or being really, really loud. And usually you can't get both very easily unless you've you've got a lot of the right tools and a lot of experience. So I generally just recommend when people are are mastering their own music is just be gentle and just don't make it super loud. And if you do that, the big thing, so digress, the big thing in mastering is the loudness wars and this idea that a lot of people just want their music as loud as possible and it's a cheap trick to get people to respond emotionally to your recording. And it's cheap because every listener in the world knows how to turn it up and down. And just whether if your song is a thousand times louder than the previous song, it might grab someone's attention, but, but it will never grab their attention and hold it the way that great art will. You know, mm-hmm. you want someone sure. to cry when they hear your music, not cry because it's so loud and kills their ears or something. But anyways... Mm. Yeah, so the struggle's real when you're a novice. <laughs> Aaron has gentle embroidered on the back of his sweatpants. <laughs> <laughs> I got a visual of that. That was, wow. was kind of disturbing. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I even own a pair of sweatpants. It's a real swishy font. Uh, yeah. Cursive. Like juicy. Yeah, like juicy. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's, where, that's exactly what it was. <laughs> Jeff, what do you have going on? Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, so. Um, Continuing from our last session, we were talking about plugins for, of course, amp simulators. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, you know, recommending S Gear, and uh, Cook was all about thinking about the Amplitude Tube. Tube, tube, not like tube. What I was saying last yeah. week, like a moron. So uh, I went. I was going back to investigate. Well, maybe, uh, maybe I am full of shit. I think it's better, and I was. Went back to uh, the guitar rig plugins that I was playing with a long time ago just to see if they still held up. Um, so in doing so, I was also experimenting with the uh, idea of playing these simulators through different type of 
uh, live setups to try to get the the amp in the room sound. So mm-hmm. I was playing through a uh, a cabinet, so running the out of my uh, uh, my whatever that thing's called interface, yes, into a, a real tube amp. Also running it into a uh, power amp with a full range speaker, as well as a bass guitar amp with a full range speaker. Just trying to figure out what are those different tones and how are they created and what is that what can create that in the uh, in the room amp sound. Hmm. So from all that, the idea of you know a guitar cabinet running a sim, basically a sim is composed of a you know a simulation of a guitar amp and a cabinet. And now you're running it through a real cabinet. So you're getting a, a squashing of different sounds and frequencies, which in doing so is not the best sound in the world. So if you're going to run a uh, sim with a real guitar amp, it's best to turn off the amp simulator or the cabinet simulator in the software. Um, much better sound. But so that 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 kind of goes into what we were doing at, our, at, at, at uh, one of our practices um, where I had the... Uh, the Fender Mustang three and it just dawned on me, uh, listening to your story that a, an amp simulator, sorry, a, a cab simulator would be great if you're going through headphones. Like if you're just playing in your house and you want to get that feel. So turning on that, that cab simulator there makes sense. But I did and winningly didn't, uh, know that that was actually on, uh, when we we're playing live in the room and, um, uh, it, it was making it sound really strange. So once we turned that off, it, it helped out. So if you do, if you are running headphones, that's one way where you can get a convincing sound mm-hmm. in your head and be like, okay, yeah, this is what ultimately I want it to sound like. Yeah. And it's, but if you're, if you are running direct out through the speaker, then that's probably not wise. And it's not a right? bad thing. It's just different. So yeah, what are you looking for? Yeah, something like that. The uh, like a full range cabinet that will handle the full frequency spectrum. Yeah, will display what the true amp sim and the amp cabinet was supposed to sound like. As soon as you put that in another like a real cabinet, it's going to change that. So right. sometimes it 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 creates a sound you want. Sometimes it doesn't. But I I felt like with my experimentation so far that. It, having the uh the cabinet off really made the true amp sim shine more yeah so hmm. it is a matter of taste just like anything hmm. but it, it's weird though because that i think that actually plays well into pedals uh in in the same in the same sense from it and we'll cover this off on another episode but where we're sharing gear um but for context we just shared the oh, uh, yeah. that jhs pedal the, what was it, what was that one called? The Andy Timmons. AT. Andy Timmons. Yeah. Hmm. And um, spoiler alert: I did not like it because it made my Vox sound like a Marshall. Yeah. I don't want it to sound <laughs> like a Marshall. I just want it to be to be driven. Overdrive. So, but in a sense, it's emulating a, yep. a, a totally different sound, like a plexi drive or something like that. Yep. Interesting. Hmm. Um, you for me? Oh, me? You um, want me to go? Yes, okay. you. Um, so my work area downstairs um, in my, uh, it's not, I wouldn't call it a man cave. It's just a downstairs. Cave? It's just a cave, yeah. <clears throat> I have, yeah. Anyways, um, so I've got a work area that I love to do all kinds of tinkering and repairing and modding and blah, blah, blah. And um, 
for the longest time, uh, I've had a pretty expensive yoga mat um, that I was using, um, which meant that I wasn't doing the yoga at the time, which is, you know, whatever. So then I'm like, hey, I got to start that back up, but I don't want to use this thing that I've come to really like as my work bench surface. So I bought a crappy yoga mat, which wasn't the smartest thing because that doesn't work for that either. So <clears throat> took back the good yoga mat, but it's now it's covered in like little metal shavings and soldering bits and wood flex <laughs> and stuff. And great for yoga. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Band-aids required for that. So I had to cl- that was a absolute mess to clean up, but I got it revived. So I had to find another surface looking all over for, uh, I was a Lowe's looking all over for, you know, some sort of, you know, like there's like a carpet pad or I was thinking like the, the kind of, you know, the kind of carpet you put in like a three season porch. And if you're on a West coast, that's what people in the Midwest have. Yeah, I was going to say, what the hell is that? <laughs> um, so some sort of like almost like turf kind of, kind of thing, but I wasn't really finding anything I liked. And I happened to be walking past the area where they had all the, the welcome mats and most welcome mats are awful looking, you know, with cutouts and crazy hay and flowers and Mm. stuff all over. Did you find one that said, welcome to the jungle? (laughs) (laughs) That would have been awesome. I would have bought that. Yeah. Um, I, what I did find was one that had that, that sort of composite rubber, um, on the, on the back side of it. And it was pretty thick, but on the top side, it had the same stuff. It just was in a pattern. So it wasn't going to slide around because if I took a regular welcome mat and just turned it upside down, it's going to move because it's a silk, a silk screen fabric on the front or something like that. So this was the same material on the front and on the back. Perfect. And it was a perfect size. So I flipped it over, trimmed it up, and that thing is beautiful now. Perfect working surface. And mm-hmm. it was $9 as opposed to my $70 yoga mat. How, <laughs> speaking of, how's your yoga now? Oh, it's awesome, dude. I chaturanga all day long, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that's oh, that sounded awful. Yeah, but okay. So, Chris, new for you? Yeah. So um, when I was, uh, I went to OU, and there's a place down there called Stuart McDonald. It's like a luthier supply company. And uh, when I was going to get engaged with my wife, um, I took my. Uh, father's father's mother's guitar mm. and restored Long it. Heritage. Wait a minute. Let's father's father's, father's mother's, mother's guitar. So it's probably 1900. So great 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 grandma. Great great grandma's yeah. guitar. And uh, the balds think alike. <laughs> great great grandma. Yeah. Is that right? Sure. Father's father's. I think it's just great grandmother. Is it great grandma? I think it's great. Yeah, it's great. Great All grandmother. Right. Great grandmother. Because my great great grandfather, her her dad fought in the Civil War for the North, so that's cool. Um, but Dang. we have his uh, discharge papers. Side note, anyways. Uh, but I restored this guitar for my for my wife, and uh, we kind of hang it in our bedroom. And we have a four month old daughter, and she will not go to sleep unless I play for her, and I have to mean it. <laughs> if I don't mean it when I'm playing it, she knows and she won't go to sleep. But if I start to mean it, uh, she will immediately fall asleep. And today, all I could think of was free falling Tom Petty. Oh, I was like, man. I was like, all right, so I love Tom Petty. Listening to Tom Petty radio on the way in. He's so good. Serious First concert, Player Amphitheater when I was 13. Oh, nice. But uh, so, yeah, that's another topic. 
yeah, put it on the list. Yeah. But that's what's new in my life is that my guitar skills, uh, they helped me get a hot wife, and now they help me put my adorable baby <laughs> to sleep. And I don't know how I would put her down without the guitar. So Wow. I'm going to have to try that. It's awesome. It's my favorite time to play guitar. My that's kids, cool. My kids hate to sleep. I do the, I do the same thing. Um, they they don't woo as much anymore to sleep, uh, but they calm down um, and actually just changed it to all open G. So I was, I've, I'm like, hey, what would Keith do? You know. So, there you go. Uh, but, but I I kept the I kept the top string on it. So. So what kind of guitar was this? I have no idea. It's got uh, what my five-year-old calls Chinese dragons on it. Mm. And it's like two uh, cherubim, like dragonly looking cherubim, like kind of face-to-face. It's all mahogany. It's Mm. a parlor guitar with a slotted headstock. And we put um, silk-wound strings on it. And it's super nice. It's very warm. I got to. There you go. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, the guys wanted something softer. It was all like the all the supports were out of it, and some tuners were broken off, and the neck was like five inches farther forward than it should have been. And the guys at Stumac were like, wow. oh, "Just drill a hole here and put a, a wood screw in to hold the <laughs> hold the neck back." And I was like, "Okay, sorry, great grandma," and it worked great. Wow, this day. Oh, wow. that's cool. Perfect action. It that's a great. Okay, so yeah, it's functional, but even more so. You have a an heirloom that was handed from your great grandma, and now you've got a story for your kids. You can give it to them, yeah, and then they can maybe pass. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah I, like I love that. that thing. It's a blast. Super fun. Um, okay, now would be a good time to get Segway. into a little bit more of what our guest is all about. Um, we'd like you to kind of share with us a little bit about where you are as far as your guitar world um, and how that plays into your professional world. Yeah, so my story was uh, when I was 13, um, this is kind of emotional, my dad moved out on my 13th birthday and I got a guitar for my 13th birthday, my first guitar. And it was intense. And I just kind of locked myself in my room and would play my guitar that sounds and, like a uh, badly drawn boy album or something. Yeah, it was like uh, it was intense. Me and my dad are on great terms now, and I can play the guitar pretty decently now, so it, it worked out great. But man, I, I want to write a song about that. You, I, please do. There's a song there. there please is. do, man. Sorry, it could be ahead. country, but uh, <laughs> would have to be. Oh yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so I started playing guitar when I was 13, and uh, lots of fun. Eventually, started started with electric, and eventually got into acoustic. And I basically didn't play for anybody until I was maybe 17 or 18. So, um, actually, I played one time for Mark DeCenzo, and he kicked me out of the, <laughs> out of the band. <laughs> right? That Alien Nation was the name of our band. Ooh, yeah. And, uh, That's hot. Anyways, my gold Electra guitar was awesome, but not my skills were not sufficient for Alien Nation. But... Uh, Anyway, so yeah, I kept playing guitar, um, learned how to sing and play at the same time, and that was a, a big deal for me. And uh, and then when I left, I started kind of writing songs a lot. And then when I left for OU, my you know after my senior year of high school, OU down in Athens, Ohio has this incredible music culture. 
uh, it's where Stuart McDonald's based, the luthier supply company. Stumac.com. Stumac.com. <laughs> and uh, anyways, uh, there's just this incredible community down there of musicians and recording engineers and luthiers and uh it's unbelievable. We and mentioned this is Athens, Ohio, not Georgia. Athens, Georgia. Who also has an excellent music yes, community. Yes, but, but not Georgia. Indeed, not Georgia, Ohio. And uh, they had an open mic night uh, that this guy, Bruce Dalzell, used to host. And uh, there's your yoga mat. Uh, and then uh, <laughs> someone with a yoga mat just walked by. Uh, but anyways, the uh, this guy, you could sign up and play for 15 minutes and... I decided to do it my freshman year, fall my freshman year, and it was awesome. And uh, all these people stuck around and developed a following and recorded a CD and uh, made a bunch of money and uh, took the money. I started touring a little bit. What's a bunch of money? Uh, I mean, I was like a freshman in college, so we're talking like... (laughs) $100? Well, I want to say... More? I made like 15 grand my freshman year. On selling, to on local? selling CDs, and uh, <laughs> you got a cue. Your that's a, that's a that's a. <laughs> but it was weird because I was super poor, and then all of a sudden was selling these CDs, and uh, we'd go like out on the road and would make like two grand in a weekend. And was like, oh my god, this is awesome! I, I can afford a cell phone and car insurance. And uh, but I took the money and I reinvested and import it beer and import beer and. Uh, <laughs> I took the money and I reinvested it into recording equipment and Wise. I was working at a, at a recording studio and I wanted to have a mobile studio. Um, so I bought a Firewire interface, Motu A2A. Oh yeah, Firewire. This was like yeah. 2001. So this was like cutting edge yeah. and I bought a Mac, the first 13 inch MacBook that they made. And uh, I got into producing people and mixing for people and uh, just, you know, because my, I would... I was a bad producer, so I would use up all my clients' money, and then we couldn't afford mastering. <laughs> and uh, so I would had to master myself. And I, I went out to a guy's house who masters music on the side, and he had mastered a record or two for me, and he just kind of walked me through. There's some construction some going on. <laughs> sucking right now. But he walked me through mastering, and then I, um, this really awesome guy, walked me through what he was doing, and I just became fascinated with it. And I would just do anything I could to get my hands on an unmixed or an okay, unmastered yeah. record, and I'd master it. And I started uh, begging my producer friends, hey, will you give me some of your records that you've released? Let me master them for you. And then they were like, hmm. You're better at this than the other guy that we had to do this. Here, here's another record that we'll give you money for. And then... Uh, that was the end of your your solo career. That, that was, well, the beginning of the end of the solo career. And then uh, <laughs> in like maybe 07 or so, uh, this continued to progress. And in 07, uh, we started uh, advertising online a lot and building a lot of traffic to the website. And then strangers started hiring me. And then uh, it's been nothing but mastering since... Oh, seven or so. That's crazy. Yeah, it's, so, I love it. Were Were you a band back when you were? I was a, a solo band. So it was a solo. So solo act. Switching back to guitar stuff here. So I was really into looping, and mm-hmm. I used the boomerang. Uh, I I've used most of them at the time, but I used the boomerang pedal, the boomerang two pedal, boomerang three pedal, the RC twenty, the RC fifty, the Boss RC twenty and RC fifty, and uh, you know. 
would use a bunch of pedals and would run my acoustic rig in stereo and do stereo ping pong delay That's awesome, to yeah. the beat of the music and you know would create create a band and uh that sold a lot of CDs back when people would actually buy your CDs <laughs> if they liked no one of your songs. Yeah, so this was pre, just pre-iTunes. So people would be like, I like that one song. Here's $15. <laughs> and they're like, yes, this is awesome. But yeah, so that funded me getting into uh, recording and then mastering just kind of was a natural evolution from there. But um, yeah, I don't know how anybody would ever master, let alone mix, without being a musician. You right. know, without you know being able to sit That's down true. and say... I know what they're doing. I understand what they're going for. I can relate with them. So, so how how did you make the how did you make the jump from um, hmm. you, you get you're in recording and you know I I absolutely understand the transition from saying hey I'm playing and I need to record now ooh, this recording's going well and I really like it I'm going to put my full force there. But I don't think that most people truly understand the difference between recording and mastering. You mean mixing and mastering or just all of it? I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe I I would say there's, yeah, I mean, you could throw mixing in there too. I I guess maybe I, I would lump mixing in with the recording but that I may always, not be I always think of tracking and mixing as two completely different things it depends though there's some people that it's happening while they're recording yeah and then there's other I've only been involved yeah. with when, when we're recording and the mixing is happening there obviously I'm not I haven't maybe not obviously but uh, it's obvious to me oh, well, of course, yeah <laughs> I think it might be a different story when you're talking about, oh, no, this is coming from a label or something else, where then it does require a mastering because of certain circumstances, whether it's um, it's going into different world markets, it's going into different types of media, etc. I think for the general, um, you know, amateur musician who maybe is doing a recording, the idea of and there's another step called mastering isn't right. really in that world. Totally. Well, and here's what that comes down to is there is a pervasive lie in the home recording world. And it is I want to be to make professional quality material. So I want my recordings to sound as good as, um, you know, this guy who mixes record for, records for a living. The, the difference is, is that people who mix records for a living virtually never master their own records. They almost 100% of the time send them out of house. And and I can't back this up with stats or anything, but I don't think there's been more than a few hits on Billboard in like the past 30 years that weren't mastered outside of the mixing facility by a specific mastering engineer. And why is that? Well, mastering mastering is difficult. It's a very difficult skill to to master. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And uh, it also requires a lot different tools than mixing. Certain tools uh, that might be really handy in mixing, like an 1176 compressor, uh, Universal Audio is real popular, cannot, under any circumstances, be used in mastering. At least, I have never been able to make it sound good. Uh, So there's a lot of specific tools and specific types of compressors and um, a specific environment, but a lot of it too is the biasness of I've written the song, I've recorded the song, I'm mixing the song, and now I'm going to do the last thing to make it sound good outside of my studio. It's almost impossible to not have an insanely biased ear mm-hmm. at that point. And 
So, so there's that. But a lot of it, too, is if somebody does nothing but mastering for a living, they're going to do a better job. Yeah. Then it's, it's going to make the music sound much, the art much part, better. Right? Yeah, there's yeah. the art part. Yeah. Which you can't be an artist at everything, right? Yeah. So you got to kind of pick your battles. Like, it's interesting how people transition, say, from a musician to these other worlds of recording and mastering. And right. They, they find their place in there. They find this the art piece that they can own in that world, which is Yeah, yeah that's a great point because you don't really set out to, to do some of those specific things. Um, I feel like we're going to need to do a, a full-on secondary to this and explore this a lot more. Can we, I, I yeah. want to bring it real quick back to as someone who, so you, you started out as a musician, then you, you understood the need, the needs of recording pushed out to, okay, there's a whole other thing, which is going to really ice the cake. How does that apply now to your actual guitar playing and the types of gear that you, that you use? That's a good question. You know, um, the strange thing that I've noticed for me is that because I'm listening to so many different musicians so critically as I'm mastering that my ear, you know, obviously has improved a lot since I, you know, since I, Mm -hmm. you know, began mastering records for a living. And I definitely noticed that when I'm playing, I'm more sensitive to, oh, I could have bit into that with the pick a little bit more, or I could have, you know pulled off with my ring finger a little differently just the, the i'm more sensitive to the nuance i feel That's like than awesome. it was yeah does that before start to inhibit you or does um, it is it well yes and no so um because it's got to be perfect now right it's got to be perfect now <laughs> and the thing the curse of being a, of mastering music for a living is that you know we were talking about this earlier like something like spotify it's difficult for me to listen to because it's compressed audio it's not full quality and as a mastering engineer my job is to hear what's wrong with it right you know? and so uh, it's tough um when i'm playing guitar let, let me you ask know. you this because there's one you bringing up spotify i find it interesting i uh i, I bought a megadeth record uh, a couple weeks ago and i noticed I love the megadeth. new one yeah it's, it's way really good. good yeah um <laughs> That's I mean, the one before that was amazing, too. Super Collider is fantastic. I love that. So, But I noticed in the iTunes store that it said it mastered specifically for iTunes. And I'm like, why? I, I kind of understand it now that because they're compressing it into, what, the M4AA, that they probably took into consideration that. Well, there's that. A master for iTunes also... Um, this is a. I'll try to be really quick with this because it's very boring and technical. But when you convert um, a full quality audio file to a compressed audio file, you can get something called intersample clipping. Intersample clipping sounds very ugly. Some people don't think it exists, but it does. I promise you. <laughs> and uh, it, you know, if you hear a song with intersample clipping and without it, there's a big difference. Master for iTunes, first of all, it means it's been mastered in a way that will minimize intersample clipping when it's converted to mp4 um, but it also means that it's probably in 24-bit as opposed to 16-bit and probably at a higher sample rate gotcha. cd's 44.1k it might be as high as 96k that being said mastered for itunes does not mean mastered for itunes it means slightly less lossy 
okay. in the compression than normal iTunes, but certainly not full resolution. So, so maybe that approach to mastering for iTunes might not make something like a streaming service like Spotify any better, or could well, it? Well, it, it can. Um, the, the issue here is that uh, Spotify is lossy. Um, Apple Music is lossy. Title is not lossy. Right. Title is freaking awesome, um, and it's it's not. Um, it's it, you can still have inner sample clipping, nerdy stuff, whatever. But um, compressing in a way that that Apple recommends to avoid the inner sample clipping is good no matter what because it's going to be converted no matter what. No one's no one's mastering a CD and then the masses are not buying the CD and then listening to it in non lossy. Right. formats. So. so without going into like the big argument about can people actually hear the lossiness, right? Or the compression, you know, I, I can hear it definitely in certain situations, other situations, not so much. And I know that pristine ears and people that do it for a living can hear it and they can pick it out, you know, pretty instantaneously. What do you listen for specifically to, to capture what is missing? And I know this, this is part of the training, right? Part yeah. of the ear training. But, and when you sit and listen with someone that is actually can hear it and they can point out, oh, did you hear that? Listen for this spectrum of the music. Listen for this frequency area. Listen to the top end of the cymbal. Like, what is it that you listen for for a compressed sound? Well, I'm on really bad compressed sound. You know, you nailed it. It's the cymbal. On a nice uncompressed audio, it's tss, But on a, a really bad MP3, it's yeah, very, you know, it's, it's not yeah. sizzly enough. It's, it's not sizzly. There's a weird aliasing. Yeah, it is the term. And uh, like a fra- like a fragmenting, like almost yeah, like a, like a big, yeah. Crushing, big crushing. Yeah, yeah, big crushing. Yeah, the big thing with full resolution audio is particularly on its reverb. Reverb sounds like crap in an MP3 and an MP4. And if you and people might say, well, I can't here if it's an mp4 or not if you a b it for them on a decent set of speakers mm-hmm. not many people aren't going to be able to tell the difference and that is something that is really interesting at the i mean think about where we are in in modern uh, pop alt music it's like if you don't have like three or four reverb pedals you're not you're not playing cool music right yeah now. it's like you're everything doing it is so Reverb, yeah. Out. I mean, reverbs are probably the hottest selling pedals. I would, I would, I would venture think. to guess, right? And well, maybe distortion. I don't know. Or overdrive. I, if, I, yeah, I mean, all of the, all of the, all the blogs, all the YouTube, the podcasts, and everything. It's like it's there's a there's a new bigger, better everything reverb pedal constantly, um, and they're they're really fun to play with. But it's that's a really interesting point that these. You know, if you are in a band, and this is kind of what we we're gonna touch on a little bit. I think maybe maybe we get into this on this on the second part of this, but the the idea that you might have this and you might have it captured live, and then if you do that and record it down to an MP3, what are you really like? I, like the, the the mitigation between this is how I want to sound live versus this is what it's really going to end up with, and, yeah. and how do you and and how you well, uh, mitigate and, that. And back to that comment I made about, you know, there's this pervasive lie in home recording. And I think basically all guitarists 
have on some level a home studio. And right. It's, it's part of the guitar experience at this point. Right. Um, I don't know anyone that plays guitar that doesn't have some sort of. Got to have it. You gotta they, have it they have it or their buddy has it or yeah. their, a guy in their band has it. And the tricky thing about that is, is this pervasive lie is I'm going to play, record, mix, and master all myself. And I want it to sound professional. On a $10 budget, I want it to sound like $100,000. Right, ever does. And the tricky thing with that, particularly with not having it professionally mixed, and especially with having it professionally mastered, is it's kind of like getting dressed in the morning without a mirror. You know, if you don't really Jeff, know what you look like, especially if you have long <laughs> hair and you've brushed a lot, especially it, what does that mean? I don't even know. I don't know. I don't know where I, why I went there. He doesn't brush. I what assume you need a brush, but it's it's like going out without looking in a mirror. You don't really know what you look like to everyone else. Right. Right. What makes mastering so essential, and the reason that every professional mix engineer in the world that's worth that's worth his salt has his, ma- his music mastered somewhere else by somebody who only does mastering, not somebody who's, you know, wears all the hats, is because that person can make you look better. It's like having someone do your makeup or mm-hmm. choose your yeah. wardrobe before you go out, and you can be sure and rest easily at night mm-hmm. that, oh my God, this is going to sound good. And that's the most stressful part of recording, is, all right, I'm done, I'm going to put it on band camp. <laughs> oh, here we go. Spotify. Or I'm going to put it on SoundCloud. You know, I'm going to, you know, wherever you're putting it, that moment of it's out there yeah. is terrifying. And even, you know, just in the news today, you know, Kanye West released his, his latest record on Tidal. He just changed it. He just pulled it off Tidal, made made some edits, had it remastered, and then re-released it. Be like, that's... that's that, is, that is the first and last time we will ever utter that fool's name. That, <laughs> <laughs> He's a, he's a character. Okay, so um, we are we're starting to wind down a little bit as far as time goes. Um, we're we have so much more to talk to you about mastering and gear and stuff, and I want to parlay that into a, se- a part two of this. Um, but let's let's uh, wind it up with mm. our top four, um, and today's topic is. Uh, least favorite guitar to play. To play. To play. To play. To play. Aaron. I'm not ready. Oh, what? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I will start it off then. I'm going to start this off. My least favorite guitar to play, and, and, and I've had so many conversations about this. I can't stand playing Stratocasters. I absolutely hate playing Stratocasters. Don't tell Mark DeCenzo. I, <laughs> I think he told him already. Yeah, yeah I did. I mean, I've played multi-thousand dollar strats. I've played hundred dollar strats. It doesn't matter. I, can't, I hate the way they feel. I can't stand where the controls are. I don't like how the controls control things. Um, they all sound it's a it's a singular sound yeah and which is ironic because it has it has so many no you can always tell a strat (laughs) well no always can it's got a signature sound but it It has a signature sound i'm telling you but with the five five switches that's my that's one of my points is like i i have five switches too many three pickups (laughs) and all these knobs and it still sounds like a damn stratocaster every time anyways 
I, I, I've tried. I, it's, I, I equate that to oatmeal for me. Do you, oh, do you typically feel that way when you're in the out of phase positions, the two and three, or, or when you're using a single coil? Or you, uh, on a strat? This yeah. is a good question. I, n- it's, it's a feel thing. It's a feel thing. The sound is secondary because uh, to me, it's just like, it doesn't matter where you put it. It's sounding like a strat. Hmm. Now, y- you could push that into like, well, if it's a humbucking strat, you know, right. something like that. Which is where I want to go. You, you could, but it still feels like, like I, so I the, can't when you say feel, is it okay, neck? Yeah, yeah. It's, it it's the, the tactile thing. The tactile experience and the freaking knobs right there, because I pl- I'm I'm a br- I, I'm a bridge player. Like I, I get right up there against the bridge normally, and so they're getting in your way. And they're told, yeah, I just bonk them the whole. I don't understand that. And and to be fair, I'm much more. I'm a rhythm player, so I'm not slow handing. You know, working the knobs and all that business. Working you know, the knobs, it's like yeah, yeah. it'd be cool <laughs> if I love. You're just I'm, there pounding it, working right? Working the knobs, baby. Um, it'd be, I would love to be able to do that. That is not in my DNA to do that well, as poor Jeff has heard me try to do that a few, you know, on occasion. (laughs) Um, but the funny thing is, it's like, it's, I mean, it's obviously the, the most popular instrument on the planet. And, you know, for some reason, I'm not really sure because I don't get them like I just can't gel with it. I can't, I can't deal, man. I don't dig them. Hmm. I am not a strat guy. Hand me a strat. I will drop it. Put it down. (laughs) I don't care. Done. Out. Mic drop. Wow. All right. Let's go that way around the table. Okay. Chris. Um, I don't have an answer either. My most hated guitar, uh, is a Taylor 314 CE acoustic. Holy specific. Yeah. Uh, 14 CE. There it is. The, uh, they're not as popular now, but like when I was younger, like everybody had the Taylor for uh, three fourteen. So it's a cutaway, just it's to be specific for those who are driving in a car and can't go to Google. They're like, I don't know, two grand or three grand or something like that. They're very expensive, but they're a bolt-on neck. They have no low end whatsoever. They're, they play very fast. You can shred on them, but uh, I'm a I'm a Martin guy through and through with and it's things. electronics. Uh, Right, what? that's electro. That's got electronics. It in does it. have electronics, and uh, the electronics are awful. They're absolutely the most atrocious. That sort of somebody's screaming the name while they're listening right now. I, I can't remember what they're Piezo. called. Piezo. Well, Piezo. No, the the, the, the three fourteen is three knob. Like I don't even know what it's called. I don't need to know what it's called because it's terrible. But uh, yeah, I just hate the three fourteen because I'm a Martin guy and I get an acoustic guitar. So it's got a growl when you play it, and mm-hmm. Taylor doesn't growl. Okay, so Taylor does it. So it's not. It's not that it's a cutaway. It's just so thin. For me, it would be a cutaway. The I, tone I, is so yeah. thin. It's thin tone. Is it a thin? Is it a thinner body than normal? Not necessarily. It's just. It's so. It was so popular in the early two thousands, and everybody was. I worked on one that had a. I I I hadn't worked on, um, uh, you know, one of these guitars at all. Uh, never been on a, a, a Taylor acoustic and she wanted me to fix it. And I was like, uh, and you know, it just seemed like this, there's a, so many things that could go wrong. If you've, especially if you haven't worked on one, yeah. and they have specific needs. They do. They're kind of, and I pulled it out of the bag. I was like, 
It's a bolt-on neck. That's my big thing. It was it's really a, weird. Yeah, it's a two thousand dollar bolt on, and neck. that's the only weird. way I know what that is. That you, when you yeah. pulled that up, I was like, wait, well, I've actually. <laughs> there's no reason to spend two grand on a guitar unless there's a dovetail joint on the neck. Boom, <laughs> boom. All right, we got <laughs> a pounding. Yeah, get a Martin, get a Larve, get you know, get something that's got a bolt on neck. That's so. So important. you're really just paying two thousand dollars for the Taylor name. Yeah. And it's it's not really it's sort of hand and it's cutaway and it's electronic yeah which it's mostly branding. most people that buy these you know won't ever really need or use it's just the marketing department that yeah <laughs> jerks it's all their fault do you like any Taylor guitars or are you t- um, or are you just like I'm not a Taylor guy well here's the thing in 1996 Bob Taylor moved more towards a factory uh, setup mm-hmm. and less towards a smaller deal where he kind of manage a team that made them by hand the pre-96 ones are awesome mm. one of the nicest guitars guitars i've ever played in my life was a taylor but it's like a 95 and it just man it was so silky i've, I've heard that same thing too around the the, the brand yeah around where anything. where'd you hear this uh <laughs> the internet told me about it well it, it seems like every no, major brand has had that sort of cliff yeah. That they, you know, Gibson had it. You got to hit the Fenders had it. Um, yeah, it's like. You got to go overseas or you got to meet demand or you got to meet pricing or something like that that drives yeah. you to a different. It different is place. interesting, though, because I, I'm greed. not an acoustic connoisseur. Greed. Are you Are you, you guys acoustic connoisseurs by. Not a connoisseur, but. No, no. Played um, acoustics for a while, yeah. 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 I mean, we're familiar, but it is. I think it's the same thing as hearing, like, somebody who's like. Gibson, I'm not a Fender, you know, or, you know, like, I'm a Martin, not a Taylor. Well, but it, I just feel like in, in the electric world, there's not a $2,000 electric guitar that's not great. I'm not aware of any, you know, like some are better than others. Yeah. But a $2,000 Taylor versus a $2,000 Lerve or $2,000 Martin, there's no comparison. If you play them next to each other, mm-hmm. one has a full range of sound and the other is very thin but plays really fast. What do you think it's uh, due yeah. to? Great marketing. Is no, no, no. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why? Where do you think the sound difference is coming from? Is it the neck? I mean, I, some of it's got to be the neck, but different uh, kind of wood. I've been to the Martin factory and they are literally carving the braces and tapping them, and mm-hmm. they're doing it by ear. They're building the guitar by ear. Yeah. I don't carving it, tapping it, gluing it down. Mm-hmm. Oh no! Oh yeah! Oh. <laughs> I don't. I don't think they do that at Taylor. Uh, I don't know. I would. Is it a amplified thing? Like that? Well, these are. That's the thing too. Is, is but the uh, oh, expression system is the is the three knob dealie that mm. comes in the three fourteen, and it just if you're playing finger style, it's okay. It's like they're trying to make it more playable. So you said faster, right? Yeah. So maybe they're, since it's electrified now, they're trying to make it play faster or easier to play. I don't know. And that's why they... I mean, if you're like... That's why they sound thinner too, potentially, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the action's set very, very low and there's just not a whole lot of... I don't know. I mean, I'm... You can't I, get on it. I drank the Kool-Aid. You don't want to talk about it anymore. So, yeah, uh-huh. I just... I just All right. They're, <laughs> that's totally fair. Okay. I got one. Jeff, Whoa. hit me. Yeah. So since I was on this bass kick for a little while, since the bass is a new instrument for me, I bought a, uh, a Squire Jazz bass to start out. And 
it was sweet guitar. I like it, but I've been looking to upgrade. I want something different. I'm looking to you know maybe go up another level. Mm-hmm. So I've been trying everything. I've been playing a lot of different basses. You have. I have. Have, and you, been, have you been covering your basses? Oh, <laughs> nicely <laughs> done. Thank I'm, you. I'm, I like that. I might have to start covering my basses. Um, but the one that I cannot, I cannot get my hand around physically, and I don't like is a P bass, Fender P bass. Mm. And mostly, I think it is because it's a big piece of wood in my hand, and I can't get my fingers to curl around. There's so many opportunities right. to go places Sway. right now that we won't. Yes. Wait. Okay. So I think you probably all three of us are looking at like, wait, what? And I don't like the sound of it. Because it's essentially, yeah. for all intent and purpose, it's the same exact guitar, just a different it's pickup not the setup. Same exact guitar. It's completely different. From a body standpoint and a neck standpoint. From a ba- from a jazz. A jazz bass no, or a no, bass. They're different. They're yeah, different. different. They're different. I, I know they're different, but I mean, there's not like. It's not way different. Yeah, there's, a big, there's substantial difference between them. Tell between me what they are. The, the thickness of the nut, the thinness of the neck itself, the actual. But that but that can go into that fluctuates in, in in years and stuff as I think well. So a like s- a center of gravity disparity mm. as well. Okay. Yeah, the the way it feels on is different. Yeah. The head is feels heavier. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The head is definitely like, feels heavier. <laughs> makes you lean forward <laughs> to the left if you're right-handed. <laughs> so yeah. Okay. So it's just a thinner, a thinner, lighter body. Is that? It is a thinner, lighter because it's body. virtually the same shape too. So similar shaped. Yeah. That's yeah. what that's what I'm saying. I mean, if you sorry, I just bonked the mic. If you covered it in in something honey honey <laughs> if you if you i mean silhouette wise they're almost identical sure. if you just sure. did that right that's what that's what i'm saying like it it's a weird thing to say i hate playing this one that looks and you know if you're just looking at it on the wall in silhouette it's almost the same exact thing but when you're getting into you know, if the head, if the, if the headstock is, is heavier or a lot of it's the neck, it's just a chunky, it's a chunky neck. It's yeah, a tree very trunk. chunky. But can't you get slimmer P bass necks? You, I mean, yeah, I just like on a, on a regular Gibson. You can yeah. interchange them, yeah, but C traditionally it's not, they're not set up like that, right? It's the P bass, the P bass neck. And there's different eras okay. of that neck. Yeah. But that's why they, they moved to the jazz bass, right? Cause it was they needed something that sounded different and it was yeah. more technically more, you could call it playable. Hmm. So they went to something that was thinner and want well, to make sense. Cause the jazz, the initial P bass, you know, that was the first popular electric bass. And at that point, everyone played upright bass. Yeah. You know, a, a baseball bat thickness of neck, True. you know? So Interesting. Wish we had this is where Jay could have come in handy and he can weigh in on the Yeah, he loves a P bass on it later. On it later. Well, yeah. I, I also want to say that that's probably gonna be the next instrument that I buy is a, a P bass. Yeah, I'm right there with you, man. Mm-hmm. I I have a I have a P bass style get uh, a, an, an old, old P V, which is which I totally dig, but that feels totally different than a P bass. Oh yeah, I know. But I'm just saying when we're when you're referring to P bass, I mean for all intent and purpose, you're referring to a general body style and the pickup um, arrangement. 
I mean, that's, mm. that's essentially, it's a precision base. That's, that's what that actually is. So it's when you're getting into the jazz bass, you're, I, I realize obviously your controls are, uh, you know, slightly different. Obviously you have a different pickup scenario, but, and that's, they took the same, they took a P bass and essentially took, switched up the pickups, put, put a different pickup arrangement in and, you know, uh, obviously later on you get different neck configurations and stuff like that. But, um, that's interesting. Okay, good. Glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> Aaron, what do you got? Uh, I'm uh, also going to uh, go into the world of acoustic guitars and anything made by Ovation. Oh, I yeah, yeah. absolutely oh. hate. Yeah. And I've owned one, but I was green. Naturally, you had the plastic green back. The plastic round back, right? Hang on. Oh, Did you have the stand that it sits on too, so you can play? <laughs> Love that song, dude. I remember seeing Alex Lifeson do that on stage. The first concert I went to was Primus and Rush. And yeah, Alex Lifeson had that like oh, his yeah, acoustic right. guitar yeah. on a stand. Yeah, that well, they all looked, did at that time. That was cool. that was the thing. That was cool. But no, my ovation was not like that. Um, it, it, it's it's a lot of the same reasons. Um, That's like Bon Jovi style, right there, man. Yeah. The sound is just another, Mr. Another Big, and yeah, I mean, pick any any band in that genre. Yeah, at, at that, that time, time, who had to do a ballad in order to get a record out. You that was like a given. You had the ovation on the stand. Oh, they're awful. Every rose has a thorn. Is that an ovation? I no, that's a good question. I don't believe it is. I don't believe it is. That is a. Um, oh, we're gonna have to look yeah, it up. He's sitting there with. Them. I'm pretty sure. I think that's an Ibanez. Not that he really played that. It's, it's a it's a I it's an Ibanez dreadnought. Right about that. So those were also popular in the eighties. Oh yeah, and underrated Ibanez acoustics Ibanez are, are, are pretty decent. I I like them. That was the other. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> they were popular too. Yeah, but they were affordable. You know. You know, I will say this about the um, the ovation, especially the one that I had. It it actually it played pretty well. But the sound that came out of it just did not match. It's just, it's yeah, a strange it's, thing. It's I mean, it's a, it's, it's a very tinnier sound. Ugh, yeah, what it, you're describing. I used to hate them because I I would sit and like play my buddies and I would <laughs> well, slide. Yeah, around. Slide. Well, that that's another issue with when, it. I mean, it's not think, a practical body shape. Think think about going to Guitar Center at that time. Okay, tra- transport yourself and walk <laughs> in and you, and see people trying to play those sitting down. <laughs> or standing up, it's hilarious. It's like they're there, and even if you have a strap, whoop, yeah, it just slips down. I, I don't know. I don't know how they got so popular. Right. It's it, that bought. It's the about videos. A good, a good it's marketing the videos, department. Man. Yeah, the, the, marketing. The, the MTVs. <laughs> yeah. Damn marketers. I know. Well, Every that and advertising they, they and marketing. They, they were also. I mean, <laughs> if you th- if you think about popular culture at that time, that was also one of the f- one of the first. Guitars you're going to run into as a as a uh, a youth going into a store and saying like, oh, this guitar actually looks different than every other acoustic guitar I've ever seen. So it's unique. you know the you front the, the 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 acoustic holes with the yeah. overlays and the leafs and all that business right. that was all you know on the top towards right. towards the neck. Yep. I mean, it was it was radically different. The headstock was radically yep. different. Everything about that guitar was completely different. 
And that's not to say that there weren't um, other, you know, boutique builders that were doing also equally radically different things. You just weren't going to find them at Guitar Center. Right. Or whatever other big box. I think it was Sam Ash back then, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. That's a good one. I think we, we all ganged up on that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm very happy with the, uh, the support that I've yeah. received from if you. If you have an ovation. confused by my friend Jeff you here, still but have that's one? okay. No, I was oh. just going to say to the listeners, if you have an ovation and disagree with us, yeah. we don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Take a picture of it and, and, and put it on our... Uh, on our Facebook group. Okay. They would float better. I would oh, think. yeah, good idea. <laughs> yeah. So. You can make cool, like, little boats out of that. Yeah. Yeah. Set them on fire and send them down. The there road. you go. Viking yeah. fe- ovation. Oh, yeah, theater. there you go. <laughs> if someone could please film that, that yeah. would be amazing and put it on our I will send you a dollar group. in snail mail yeah. in, in an envelope. If <laughs> That would be amazing. If you could send me a video of that. Okay, I think we're about at that time. Yeah. We're going to wrap it up. Thanks, big thanks to Chris for My joining pleasure. us. Um, and you can find more of this discussion in the next podcast. Ooh. We're going to elaborate a little bit more the on the Guitar Next podcast. The, the <laughs> Next. Uh, ooh. I'm sorry. I have I a problem. My high five on that one. <laughs> um, all right, so that's it. Bye now. Well, that's it for these knobs. Please join us on facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash guitar knobs and tell us what you think and share your stories and guitar stuff along with ours. You can also find us at twitter.com forward slash guitar underscore knobs and also at our website at guitarknobs.podbean.com.